I'm Alex Millers. And I'm Taisei Fu. And I was telling Taisei right before we started recording that this was the most disappointing week in my entire Montreal Canadiens fandom, which has lasted for uh, approximately a full decade now. There's no specifically the two days at the beginning of the week, uh, right after we released our last episode on Sunday and Monday. Um, thinking about the Montreal Canadiens was just tremendous pain and suffering for two main reasons, and we're going to get to both of them. Uh, Victor Mate losing him on waivers for nothing. Absolutely the stupidest decision Mark Bergeron has made in his entire tenure. Not the one that's going to have the most disastrous consequences, but in terms of what it reveals about his philosophy, it's just, there's absolutely no defense of it whatsoever. And of course, the Darren Dreger report that Montreal was not even just thinking about but prepared to offer a contract to Tony D'Angelo if he had agreed to terminate his contract with the Rangers. We're going to build up to both of those things. First, I just want to talk about the fact that the Canadians' on-ice performance has sucked also. And that really that's what really hammered it home for me, that this was the worst week in uh, my entire Montreal Canadiens fandom. Uh, they, they just lost yesterday 4-0 to the Ottawa Senators. They just this they just bought at the deadline. They're going to sleepwalk their way into the playoffs and get absolutely killed by the Maple Leafs. And yet Mark Bergman, he, he goes out, acquires John Merrill, Eric Gustafson, Eric Stahl a few weeks before, really trying to supplement this team just so they can maybe win one or two games against the Maple Leafs. You think you have any chance to make noise in the playoffs when you get shut out by the Ottawa Senators, got shut out by Matt Murray with Shane fucking Pinto making his NHL debut. Reminded, this team has like rookie Josh Norris on the first line. Nikita Zaitsev still on the top pair. This hasn't changed. You lost five times to the Ottawa Senators this year in eight games. It's absolutely unacceptable. Dominique Ducharme's a bad coach. There, I know I've kind of given him a chance for a little while. Firing Claude Julien was a big mistake. We'll hit on that too while we're at it. Uh, and I don't think he should be renewed uh, beyond the season. And I don't think Mark Bergerman should stick around beyond the season for a multitude of reasons. Yeah, look, it's... I guess, well, like, yeah, the ratings been on the wall. And now it's like every single facet of, you know, general managership is a complete train wreck at this point. And this week kind of shone a light on it. And so, you know, yeah, so let's start with the on-ice performance, which, I, you know, it's, you could argue is the most important part of things. And, yeah, you're absolutely right. This team uh, sucks. Uh, they're fortunate that this division sucks even harder and that they have three teams that are worse than them below them in the standings uh, because uh, if this was any regular season, the Habs would not be even close to sniffing the playoffs. In fact, I'd argue that they'd probably be exactly in the same spot that they finished the regular season in last year in 12th place uh, in the, in the, uh, in the East or, you know, in the Atlantic. Um, no, not 12th place in the Atlantic. What am I saying? 12th place in the East. Uh, yeah. And yeah, I've already forgotten the uh, old format. <laughs> uh, it's only been one year, but yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyways, like this team stinks, man. There's, there's no, noticeable improvement honestly from last year to this one in terms of like night in night out and the consistency and, and being able to play you know ex- like in exciting like first of all yeah Ducharme like I- I'm done with that experiment uh he stinks his style of hockey is boring as hell not only is it boring as hell it doesn't even work all right uh the offense is completely dried up I mean what the hell was that last night or yesterday uh it's just it was completely atrocious I mean to to get shut out by the Ottawa freaking Senators is outrageous. Because if you look at that roster, you know, you talk about Josh Norris as a first-line center, but literally everybody else on that team stinks with the exception of, like, you know, Thomas Shabbat and Victor Mete. Um, it's just, it's, it's a complete atrocity. I Like, the fact that, you know, this is a team, the Senators, who were swept all nine games by the Edmonton Oilers, 
uh, and somehow have a winning record against the Habs. And, you know, it's not even like a one year, like we talked about last year, how, you know, the Habs kept stinking it up against Detroit. And, you know, all the jokes about, oh, ha, ha, the Habs' weakness is, you know, the league's worst team. Well, I mean, I guess that's true to a point, but it, it really is indicative of a, a deeper problem, which is that, you know, the A, they play down to competition, and B, they're just not very good in the first place, and they can't manage to find any sort of consistency. Uh, and, yeah, this is what it is. I mean, like, even, you know, when they win, they win against the Flames, it wasn't very convincing. You know, Tyler Toffoli kind of bailed them out with those two goals. And, like, you know, if, that, if, they, if they had freaking lost that game against the Flames and then proceeded to lose like they did last or yesterday against the Senators, I mean, they'd probably be in, you know, like, their playoff chances would be, you know, kind of cratering. They'd still be above 50%. But, you know, they'd, it's that meme, you know, like, uh, what's his name, Ralph from The Simpsons? And he's like, uh-oh, uh, I sense danger or some shit like that. Um, like, that's, what's, that's exactly what it is. And, like, look, this team is not a playoff team in a normal year. And it hasn't been basically the entire time under Bergevin's tenure. And so to keep this guy on, uh, I don't care how much Jeff Molson likes him. I mean, just look at the results. And it's absolutely terrible. Year in, year out. There's there's no building towards anything big right now. At least that's not the feeling that you get that that I get um, looking at the direct, the trajectory of the team um, because of the way he built it. Just like you just case in point, you look at the defense. Um, and he just keeps, you know, digging deeper into that hole of, you know, I like the the sandpaper gritty defenseman. And Sure, I'll get it. I'll start get started on the the Victor Mete situation. Now, not yet. Not yet. All right, because I have some stuff about okay. about what you said. Because right. I think, first of all, it is definitely worth reminding everyone that this Canadian division is only a one year thing. And I was thinking about this the other day. Next year, when they go back to the Atlantic Division, I don't expect there's going to be too big of a shake up on the roster next year. Of course, Cole Caulfield will be added. That'll be a nice boost. There's a good chance Tatar will be gone. Maybe Dan Noel will be gone. Yoel Armia will probably be gone too. They're all UFAs. Corey Perry, who knows if he's coming back and who knows how they fill those holes. But anyway, I expect it won't show that much drastic improvement. Tampa Bay, Boston, Toronto, you really think you're going to come anywhere close to the top three in that division with those three teams? Three teams there. Good luck. I don't think so. Even Florida now. Uh, they've taken big steps this year. They're they're a great team. I don't think Montreal is anywhere near that stratosphere. I mean, maybe they, they could totally fall off again next year. You never know. But I wouldn't count on it. So that leaves Montreal ahead of Buffalo, Ottawa, and Detroit. Which, to be totally honest, I think they're much closer to the Buffalo, Ottawa, Detroit tier than they are to the Tampa Bay, Boston, Toronto tier. So and when you look at Montreal, in the context of that division, that's very much the haves and the have-nots, and Montreal kind of stuck in the middle. It really seems like they're built super well for the playoff being on the playoff bubble for the next five years the minnesota wild syndrome forget about it all right minnesota they're heading they're trending upwards kirill kaprizov marco rossi is going to be there soon they have a great pipeline they're going to be actually good soon after 10 years of mediocrity and montreal is going to be the new face of average in the nhl for a very long time because i i don't see them bottom bottoming out I sure as hell don't see them contending for a Stanley Cup anytime soon with the way things are going there. So I think uh, I, we're, we need to brace ourselves for the worst case scenario, which is Mark Bergevin uh, keeps his job, st- uh, sticks on the playoff bubble for the next five years, and they're going, oh, well, at least we made the playoffs last year, and at least we have a shot at doing it next year. And this is the, the distant future for the Montreal Canadiens. Yikes. And look, there's frankly nothing special about this team. Like, think about it. You know, there's nothing particular. Like, there's no real wow factor, especially when you compare it to, you know, the 
four teams that you could argue are ahead of them in, in what would be the regular Atlantic division. Um, like the goaltending, frankly, like it stinks. All right. Like, look, Carey Price, he was awful yesterday against the freaking Senators. Um, what was it? He gave up three goals on 12 shots. It's outrageous against a team that sucks. Um, no, makes no sense whatsoever. Um, why? Well, well, actually, it does make sense. It's just because he's washed. And, you know, Jake Allen, not a starter, you know, very capable backup, but, you know, not starter material. Uh, doesn't look like Caden Primo is going to crack the lineup anytime soon be- just because they have these two overpaid guys. They're not going to, I don't see him really finding much playing time in the NHL. Uh, and so that's the goaltending situation. The defense, we keep harping on it every single week. It stinks. Uh, it, like, Shea Weber has gone through an absolutely miserable stretch over the last little while. Uh, he seems completely washed. And, you know, Jeff Petrie's very, very nice piece, you know? We, we, but, like, that's it. That's it. Everybody else stinks, especially now that you... Nobody can carry Even the puck. Petrie's it's all just like, oh... for a little he, while now. He's in quite the slump himself. Right. And, like, it just seems like Bergevin just keeps on shedding these guys like Victor Mete. Like, I... Oh, man, I can't even help myself from getting into it. But uh, I'll, I'll hold you off can for, start for, now. For, for, for a few more minutes. Okay, I'll start. All right. So, one of the only capable puck-moving defensemen on this team... Because nobody else can, apparently, because that's not Bergevin's kind of defenseman. Uh, and he's only 22 years old, very much on a, a very nice developmental path after they drafted him, uh, like, what, four years ago? And apparently, uh, that's it. We're giving up on Victor Mete. And, yeah, upon acquiring John Merrill, he was promptly put on waivers after, first of all, yeah, we had, like, a little background Right, we had a whole bunch of drama this entire season because you know Mete wasn't getting in the lineup, and Bergevin didn't want to trade him or you know give him more playing time or make the coach give him more playing time, and so you know there was that friction that's been all that's been there the whole time, and you know maybe the writing was on the wall. Victor Mete was on his way out of the Montreal Canadiens organization, but to put this guy on waivers, a 22-year-old puck-moving defenseman is extraordinarily stupid considering that you replaced him with John fucking Merrill and you know Eric Gustafson uh is completely disgusting all right both of those guys are UFAs they they play no part in your future and uh they hold almost no value and uh you know Victor Mete 22 year old defenseman in the league uh they don't come for cheap normally in a trade and I am thoroughly convinced that you know somebody would come give up something like I mean, look, the Ottawa Senators just... And apparently there were a whole bunch of teams that put in a claim for Victor Mete, as would I. Um, and, yeah, here we are. Goes to the Senators, lose him on waivers. He comes back. He beats us 4 nothing yesterday. And, yikes. It's a complete, disgusting mismanagement of assets uh, to give up such a valuable asset for literally nothing. Um, completely outrageous. It is... I don't know. Probably the most valuable asset I've seen on waivers in a while. 22-year-old sure. defenseman. You just don't see it. Anyone who's listened to the show for a while knows that I have uh, some some family that are Ottawa Senators fans. And I, I told them, I said, congratulations for being on the receiving end of the most idiotic waiver placement of all time. Um, I really can't imagine anything worse than this. Uh, here's the list of all the defensemen younger than Victor Mete who played uh, at least 20 games in the NHL this year. Uh, Jake Bean. Dante Fabro, Mikhail Sorgachev, Mario Ferraro, Yusuf Valimaki, Kil Makar, Nicholas Haig, Cal Foot, Ian Mitchell, Michael Anderson, Henry Okaharu, Miro Haskinen, 
Quinn Hughes, Alexander Romanov, Noah Dobson, Keandre Miller, Ty Smith, Rasmus Dahlin, Adam Boquist, and that's it. That is quite the list of defensemen. Uh, and you know why? Because they're all younger than Victor Mete. They're all they're all 22 or younger, and, they, and they're in the NHL, which means that they would have quite the bright futures ahead of them. I keep coming back to his age. Victor Mete, first of all, all right, so he was drafted in the fourth round in 2016, uh, of an excellent piece of work by Trevor Timmons. He spends one more year in junior, and he makes the team out of camp as a 19-year-old. Uh, did he deserve it? Uh, probably not. But the, the, they had like who did they have on the left side? Carl Ficken Alsner. So, uh, so yeah, Victor Mete, top pair with Shea Weber. Here you go, Mr. Fourth-round pick. And he clearly wasn't ready for it. Uh, they 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 sent him to the World Juniors that year. They sent him back to the AHL uh, for the end of the season. Even the year after he played a big chunk of time in the AHL, they they did like the such a terrible management of Victor Mate's career from from start to end. Really, like sending him up, sending him down, playing on the top pair, healthy scratching him. It was just total chaos. And guess what? Through even with all that, he still managed to be a great contributor. Uh, he's great defensively, even though he's small. Can you imagine that? We, uh, we're in 2021, and we still think someone who's short must be an offensive defenseman. I can't believe in Mark Bergevin. Anyway, and despite all that, he's, he's put up great results. By every single metric you could possibly look at, he's an NHL defenseman, probably even a number four, potentially. And not, oh, let's say, let's say for, for the sake of argument, all right, something that is true, is that Mark Bergevin thinks Victor Mate was 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 the seventh best defenseman on or eighth even Xavier Wallet. We can mention that too. Is that what what they could have done is just like sent Xavier Wallet back down to like the taxi squad, and they wouldn't have even had to get rid of Victor Mate or anything. It's just absolutely ridiculous. Let's just say, all right, that Victor Mate was the worst one on the team. Mark Bergevin should be perceptive enough. To know that when you have a 22-year-old defenseman who's clearly NHL caliber, and not only that, but is making very close to league minimum, that player is go. You're going to lose that player if you put him on waivers. Whereas someone like Joel Edmondson, even if even if you think Joel Edmondson, even if Joel Edmondson were 20 times better than Victor Mete, you should know that you're very unlikely to lose him if you put him on waivers based on the patterns we've seen throughout the year of players with hefty contracts getting put on waivers and going unclaimed. So this reeks of Mark Bergevin deciding Victor Mate just he didn't like him anymore gave him bad vibes uh, he's too small I want tall defense Victor Mate isn't imposing enough and so really what he did is he took a great piece of scouting work by Trevor Timmons to get this guy in the fourth round and threw it in the trash just because he wanted to just because Victor Mate was too small and now what was supposed to be uh, a core piece of the defense, we, we were talking like this a couple years ago, the core piece of the defense moving forwards, and he still could have been Victor Mete, he was only 22 and he was only getting better, uh, is now going to be a key piece of the future for the arch rival in Ottawa. So uh, so good for you, Mark Bergevin. You gave, uh, you gave away a competent defenseman for free to a divisional rival. And not only that, I don't know if you saw, this was really frustrating. In the press conference, I think it was Arpan Basu, uh, who asked him if there were any offers on the table for Victor Mate? This was after he lost him. And Mark Bergevin was so condescending, saying something like, "Yeah, I could have got a first-round pick for him, but I decided to put him on waivers instead." Like, answer the question, Mark. This year, we were talking earlier this year about potentially a Victor Mate for Sam Bennett trade, and I think we were saying, "Yeah, that kind of makes sense." Uh, but I don't know if I love it too much. You know, Victor Mate is like two years younger. Sam Bennett's kind of a fourth liner, and then Sam Bennett 
goes and gets the equivalent of two second round picks at the deadline, and Victor Mateus lost for nothing. A total failure on Mark Bergevin's part. No rationale behind it whatsoever. It's embarrassing. Yeah, besides the player analysis perspective, which I think is uh, extremely incorrect of him to, uh, you know, oh, he's small. I don't like him. But besides that, just based on an asset management perspective, uh, which is like the main part of his job, uh, it's completely atrocious. What the hell are you doing? Uh, you could have absolutely traded a guy. I mean, look at the market for defensemen. They, literally at the trade deadline, just the, the same day that he put him on waivers. I mean, these dudes getting first round picks, second round picks. You talk about Sam Bennett getting, you know, basically the equivalent of two second round picks. Uh, and I mean, what? You're losing this guy for absolutely nothing when, you know, teams are just hungry for cap cheap guys, cap cheap defensemen, especially. And you got exactly that. If you want to get rid of him, fine. Uh, I completely disagree with it, but fine. At least get something. He literally lost him for nothing. Uh, and that's complete. That's so stupid. And then you look at the future of this defense. Let's look at the future of this defense, all right? Like, you talk about how, you know, Victor Mete will make a formidable piece for the future of the Ottawa Senators defense. And I'm looking at the Habs defense right now, and I'm wondering, what the hell is the future of the Habs defense? Because there's, frankly, aside from, you know, Romanov, there's nobody here who has any sort of upward development path, barring, you know, Jeff Petrie somehow even getting better next year. You know, like all these other dudes, they're getting older. They're all, they're, you know, they're, a lot of them are about to turn 30. And I mean, frankly, they're not getting better. Jay Weber's only getting worse. That's, there's no question about it. Joel Edmondson, I don't anticipate any sort of improvement from this guy. Ben Sherratt, certainly not. Uh, Brett Kulak is, you know, he's Brett Kulak. He's a solid piece, but he's not the future. Uh, and aside from that, who the hell do you have? Um, and well, you know, you obviously you got a bunch of prospects. You know, your Jordan Harris and whatnot. But like, right now on the NHL roster, is there any like young promising defenseman aside from Romanov? No, it's just a bunch of aging dude, aging dudes who their like first skill is like being big and being mean. Um, and so you know, it's very concerning. It's extremely concerning. Uh, and, you know, we're talking about, you know, long-term windows. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, this is just a recipe for, as you talked about earlier, just pure mediocrity. Uh, just a defense who just is old, slow, uh, and can barely keep afloat or can't keep afloat. And, like, you know, a forward core that's not bad. That's deep. No one's spectacular. I mean, this is this is the recipe for mediocrity. And it's coming, and we can see it from a mile away. Uh, just based on how he's constructed the roster. And it's, it's these stupid moves like this, you know, signing Joel Edmondson, signing Ben Sherratt to too much money, shot, you know, and, and all those kind of things, you know, just even acquiring Gustafson and Merrill. Uh, it's, and obviously, finally, get, giving away Victor Mete for free. Um, it's all trending in the same direction. It's a moribund defense within two years uh, where, you know, we're looking at, there's nobody on defense anymore who's remotely good, except for maybe like two guys. I'll tell you, uh, I, I what the future of this defense is going to look like because I know exa- exactly what it's going to look like. The answer is Caden Gooley. All right, that's the manifestation of the future of this defense. All right, so Alexander Romanov, he's good. He's going to get better. Matthias Norlander, there's a there's a real good defense and a uh, great prospect. Uh, we see highlight reels of him on Twitter in the Swedish league every now and then. You know, great offensive t- defenseman, lots of skill. Uh, Mark Bergman doesn't like that, though. Um, so he's probably going to get put on waivers in like four years again, and they're going to lose him. Uh, whereas guys like Caden Gooley, you know, 
big, tall, can can cross check you, can can stay in the house or whatever. Uh, Mark Burfman is going to say, everyone be like Caden Gooley. He's going to name Caden Gooley captain. Um, and Shea Weber, of course, is going to be riding out the remainder of this contract, uh, getting st- steadily worse and worse throughout. Um, and he's going to try and acquire more defensemen, just like Caden Gooley and Ben Sherratt and Joel Edmondson. And he's going to try and draft more defensemen, just like him, as long as he's in charge of this team. Uh, the, the Shea Weber, though, um, I'll spend a minute on him. Right now, when, when the deal was first made for, uh, for Shea Weber, P.K. Subban for Shea Weber. This was exactly what people were afraid of and the main reason people criticized the deal. People saying, well, watch about halfway through that contract, Shea Weber's going to have a deep decline and we're about halfway through the contract. The decline is here. Um, Not only uh, has his skating apparently gotten even worse than it was before and he was never the strongest skater uh, to begin with, he seems to just be making brain fart plays all the time, turning pucks over more than he ever has before. That was never a real concern with Shea Weber. And it seems like it's becoming a real pattern now. Uh, So Shea Weber, uh, at this point, is a bottom-pairing defenseman. Uh, And similarly to what we were talking about a couple weeks ago with that deadweight Carey Price contract, Shea Weber signed uh, until the very same year, and there's really no solution to get rid of it. Um, You kind of just have to live with it and allow it to become an anchor and maybe play Shea Weber less and less, hopefully, as it goes on. Uh, not going to be great when you have an almost $8 million cap hit playing for, I don't know, 15 minutes a night. But, I mean, it's just it looks so hopeless. There's no reason to protect him in the expansion draft, right? There's absolutely no reason. Oh, uh, they better not protect him in the expansion draft. Can you imagine? I don't know, man. I don't know. Maybe they will. I would not be surprised if they did protect the guy. I would um, well. To be fair, there aren't that many other players worth protecting to begin with. But okay, let's take a look. I want to. I want to. Let's open the expansion draft tool. You know who would have been worth protecting is Victor Mete. Uh, but now Ottawa is going to have true. to worry about that. Um, so let's head down to Montreal on here. All right, they'll be protecting Jeff Petrie, uh, even if just for his no movement clause. Uh, so UFA's Eric Gustafson, John Merrill. I would guess they're not coming back. Uh, I would like it if they protected Kale Fleury. Never know; he still might turn out. And I would like that they protected Brett Kulak since he'll be signed on for another year at a reasonable cap hit and he can play some solid minutes. And if they did those three, Petrie, Kulak, and Flurry, then that would leave Weber, Sherrod, and Edmonton exposed. Seattle could take any one of them and I would be pretty satisfied. So, Yeah, I think you're, you know, there's a lot of wishful thinking. I mean, I, I would agree. You know, I think you do have to protect Kulak. Not only is he, you know, better than the other defensemen, but he's uh, significantly cheaper. Um and but yeah, like man, I like I, I don't see them protecting Kale Flurry. Would I protect Kale Flurry? Sure. Why the hell not? Uh cost controlled, young dude. Only twenty two. You know what? Um I wish but, they had yeah. I wish they had enough good defensemen where it didn't make sense to protect Kale Flurry. Absolutely. Absolutely. But here we are in this predicament where we're out here being like, hmm, who's the third guy I want to keep the most out of all these dudes? And the answer is fucking Kale Flurry. Uh because everybody else sucks. Everybody else stinks, both on the ice and also in contract. So, uh, but, you know, watch. They're not going to protect. I'm not even convinced they're going to protect Brett Kulak. I don't think so. I think what they'll do is they'll protect PG just because they have to. Well, they would anyways, but, you know, they have to. Uh, and then they might even go, like, okay, we're going to protect Ben Sherratt, um, who only has one door. And then we'll probably Shea Weber. Um, and then at that point, I just hope and pray that, the t- the, you know, Seattle takes Joel Edmondson. But, uh, you know. And again, wishful thinking. Uh, so yeah, it's not it's not such a good thing. It's not a, it's it's not a friendly predicament whatsoever here. 
Uh, the defense freaking sucks. It stinks. And case in point, you just do the expansion exercise. And you see that, frankly, there's really nobody that you would really want. And half of these guys, you just hope that, you know, I wish Seattle could take multiple of them so we could get them off the books. Uh, so, yeah, it's a miserable time. Defense stinks. Mm-hmm. All right, I think it's time to address the elephant in the room, Tony D'Angelo. Uh, we were really hoping that we would never have to talk about this player again. But unfortunately, Mark Bergman couldn't help himself, and he revealed himself to be a terrible person. You know, okay, before we... I I kind of, like, I felt like a bit of an idiot for being surprised by this, to be totally honest, because we, we've seen this pattern a little bit with Mark Bergevin and him signing Nick Cousins and him hiring Sean Burke, uh, these noted terrible people. Uh, that really, I shouldn't have been that surprised when I saw that Darren Dreger tweet said that said... um. Montreal had an offer prepared for Tony D'Angelo if his contract was going to be terminated with the Rangers and they were going to sign it. My heart stopped. I was so, I felt so hurt, honestly, for that entire night that like, I was, I wasn't expecting any team. I thought every team had finally learned their lesson after this, after it really finally blew over. And it looked like most teams did, except for Montreal. And it was really, it it was an embarrassing moment for me being a Canadians fan, seeing that. But what, what was, I think, worse about I I said to this to you, a small part of me wished that they actually did end up getting him, just so it would have been a bigger story, and just so people would have been talking about it more. Because the only reason Tony D'Angelo isn't a Montreal Canadian right now is because he decided he didn't want to be. He decided he'd, he'd rather sit at home for the rest of the year not playing, get bought out in the summer, and sign then. Uh, then have a chance to play playoff games for the Montreal Canadiens uh, on a deal that, I mean, well, I guess it wouldn't have given him the same amount of money since uh, it's not a buyout, it's a termination. But either way, how embarrassing is that for you, Montreal? That you go, you go out of your way to say, you know who we need to add at the deadline is the worst kind of human being you could possibly imagine who's not only, you know, uh, not- noted doing terrible things throughout his entire career, dating back to junior and showing no remorse for it, but also terrible in the room, which I know that that's a, a kind, they kind of go hand in hand a little bit. But like we hear a lot about, you know, you, I'll take Max Domi, for example. He's had some, I'll be very kind, using the word questionable views and said some questionable things in the past. But you don't really hear him having this like bad in the room reputation. Anthony D'Angelo, we know he's a locker room cancer. That's why he was sent home by the Rangers. And Mark Bergevin, who's, who's, started preaching character the day he was hired in May 2012, uh, wants to get rid of Alex Galchenyuk for, for getting hit by his girlfriend. Uh, but, but then, you know, Anthony D'Angelo comes along and all of a sudden character is totally out the window. Either that or the character of Tony D'Angelo is something that Mark Bergevin doesn't actually see a problem with. Either way, uh, it's absolutely terrible. Shame on Mark Bergevin. This is the main reason why that this was the last draw for me. Um, even if, if my GM does something stupid like putting Victor Mate on waivers. I can stay. I can I, I can stick around. All right. I can say maybe you'll 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 make better moves in the future. All right. I but, but when you when you totally reveal yourself to be ethically bankrupt and morally corrupt and pursue Anthony D'Angelo to add to your team, it honestly really it kind of it made me call my entire fandom into question. And I this this entire week to be totally honest, I've had a really hard time cheering for the Canadians just because I know how terrible the guy at the top really is now. Yeah. 
And like, yeah, the exact the two words that came to mind, or you just said them, morally bankrupt, is exactly how I would describe the situation. Um, it seems Mark Bergevin has no sense of uh, you know being a good person because you know it's not like this was a secret uh, it, or any sort of well kept secret. Uh, it, it made big news, people. Uh, Tony D'Angelo is a noted asshat, uh, and. Despite that, you know, Mark Bergeret, but I'm just going to put aside the fact that Tony D'Angelo also kind of sucks on the ice, but that's besides the point because he sucks as a person and it's, it's extremely well documented that he, documented that he sucks as a person. Uh, you know, I don't need to list the offenses here, but you know, violent racist uh, is uh, chief among the list there. And yeah, it's completely baffling. I, well, it's not baffling, actually, because you're right. He has kind of shown that pattern over the years with the people that he's, you know, both hired but also, you know, employed as players. Um, but, like, it's just, yeah, it's 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 just, it's such a bad look. You're right. It does make it significantly harder to cheer for the team knowing that they would woefully pursue a guy with this kind of record as a person. Uh, and, yeah, frankly, it's outrageous. It did not get as much heat as it should have, because, you know, anybody considering employing Tony D'Angelo should get a shit ton of heat. Uh, and, yeah, I just can't believe it. And it's like, yep, they were really going to sign the guy. And, you know, this is not over. This is not over. They might, they might fucking sign the guy in the summer. You know, I'm sure Bergevin is already fucking writing the contract uh, if he's not already fired by then, which he probably won't be. Um, so, you know, this is, this is not just that, oh, uh, fucking close shave there. Good thing he decided not to terminate his contract. He still might join the Habs in the offseason. He still might join another NHL in the offseason. Uh, because, yeah, a bunch of morally bankrupt people. And it's uh, it sucks to see that the head of your franchise is one of those folks. Uh, and, yeah, Mark Bergevin just absolutely exposing himself as an absolute asshat as well. Um, and there's no justification for it. There's absolutely none. I mean, yeah, you could talk about locker room cancer, too. Uh, he got into a fucking fight with his goalie. What more do I need to say? Uh, and, look, it just, it, there is no justification whatsoever for, you know, signing a guy like Tony D'Angelo, even if he was good on the ice. But he's not even. And so, like, from every single angle, Mark Bergevin is a complete incompetent, and he should get his ass fired immediately uh, if Jeff Molson knew what was good for the team. But, you know, frankly, he probably doesn't either. So, yeah, that's my piece. It's just, it's stupid from every single fucking angle. And, uh, yeah, some serious scumbaggery here. Yeah, as you mentioned, this isn't over. Uh, D'Angelo getting bought out by the Rangers in the offseason is pretty much a foregone conclusion at this point. And how many suitors are there going to be among NHL teams? I don't know. But it's sure looking like Montreal is going to be one of them. And... I'll, I'll say once again, a small part of me hopes they end up with him just so there is a significant amount of outrage among fans. Whereas if he shows interest, but he D'Angelo, for I don't know, decides to sign somewhere else or, or go to Europe or whatever, uh, it would kind of fly under the radar more again. But on the other side of that, man, if D'Angelo ended up on the Canadians, I don't even know if I could stomach watching them. So I, I really don't know if I could. I might have to... That would probably be the first time I truly seriously considered like 
switching allegiance and becoming a Seattle Kraken fan. And I don't want to jump to conclusions yet because that would be really hard for me to do. All right. Just, just like any other hockey fan, you know, or any fan of any, any team, you grow super attached to the logo, but like having to watch Tony D'Angelo on a nightly basis and having to cheer for him would just feel so gross. Like, I don't even want to think about it. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Seeing his fucking punchable ass face and a have Jersey make it extremely challenging to, to cheer for that. Uh, you know, especially when you consider all the heinous shit he's done and like, can I really cheer for this? Uh, just because he's got the right logo on his Jersey, probably at the end of the edge, probably no. Um, just, uh, yeah, just a terrible fucking human being. And it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable that they would even consider doing that. Um, it's like, did you even think about it? Like, did you think about the implications? And they probably did, and they were probably fine with it, which is a you know a further indictment of uh, the people up there. But uh, yeah, it's yep, it fucking sucks. Yeah, let's move on to happier things. Um, actually, before we move on totally from the Habs, uh, I wanted to say about about Eric Gustafson. Uh, uh you know this. Uh, I was visiting my sister a little bit earlier in the week. I stayed a couple nights, uh, over there because her roommates had all uh gone home already and she's home now too but anyway one of her roommates had gotten them all like little stuffed animal thingies uh not as like a i don't know some sort of round i don't even know what it was uh and i said what's his name and she said oh i don't have a name uh and i decided this was right after montreal acquired eric gustafson that the little creature should be named eric stuffstafson so there we go there's a little ray of sunshine for for everyone listening uh, in terms of montreal's New acquisition, who I have absolutely nothing against, Eric Gustafson. Uh, I think he's not bad, uh, but we don't need to spend too much time on him. I want to move on to another team um, that is also, I guess, I guess this isn't actually a happier thing now that I mention it, Vancouver, uh, going through a pretty pretty tough shit as well, um, which is very well documented. First of all, let's talk about JT Miller actually talking. Um, and breaking the Canucks player silence, speaking on behalf of them. It says a lot about hockey culture that somebody, that one of the players saying, wow, we're not happy with what our team or what the league is forcing us to do is such a surprise. Uh, JT Miller, I don't think anyone would have missed it, basically said, yeah, uh, I, I wasn't one of the players who got COVID, but even I don't feel ready mentally or physically to go back, uh, have one practice uh, one morning skate and then jump right back into game action. So I can't even imagine how the guys who actually got sick are feeling about this. Especially, I don't remember who was it. I don't want to get this wrong. I might have been Bo Horvat who actually ended up passing COVID to his pregnant wife. And everyone's healed now, but I don't think I. You need to be a doctor to understand how dangerous that could potentially be. And Vancouver, I'm pretty sure, is scheduled to play tonight. Uh, on so really, so JT Miller's. Uh, impassioned little press conference there really only ended up pushing their their start back uh, like two or three days I believe um, so good for JT Miller for having the, the courage to do the right thing uh, hopefully hockey culture could eventually get to a point where that doesn't require any sort of courage we're not there yet of course um, but Elliot Friedman said something really interesting yesterday on headlines which is that the Canucks players are still really pissed off he didn't use those words on uh, on Sportsnet. But basically, they're really pissed off about how this all went down. Not just that they're being forced to come back, but that they were so left in the dark throughout the entire process. 
and that the Canucks and the league might eventually catch some shit for this, and it might not even take that long. I don't know if there'll be lawsuits incoming. I definitely wouldn't be surprised by it. I don't imagine there's a player strike coming, although, to be totally honest, wouldn't be such a bad idea. Yeah, but this is uh, it's just it's just case in point how uh, the league was completely you know, unprepared to deal with this, uh, frankly, the whole pandemic thing heading into this new season. And, you know, fortunately for them, you know, the, the outbreaks that there have been uh, haven't spiraled to this level, um, you know, and but like it always felt like it was kind of inevitable, right? That like it was going to fall to shit somewhere and when one of these teams was going to explode and then they would have no idea what the hell they were doing. And that is exactly what occurred here. Uh, with all this rescheduling nonsense and all that, yeah, you're keeping the players in the dark, keeping the teams in the dark, and all about what's happening in general. And uh, it's just, yeah, they were just completely unprepared, and it's glaringly obvious. And, I mean, it frankly makes no sense that they're playing tonight. I don't I don't think that makes any sort of sense. Um, and, yeah, this whole insistence on wanting to play the whole 56 games, especially a team like Vancouver, who, uh, you know, isn't going to make the playoffs. But that's, you know, that's not even, that's besides the point. Uh, and you know, it just, you, you listen to these plays like, yeah, you make, you make the point, like you never hear this kind of thing from players just because of how, you know, hockey culture really pushes back against, you know, people speaking out, uh, against the working conditions like this. Um, and so, you know, to hear, you know, JT Miller talk about it like that, um, or even just like Bo Horvat, you know, detailing his condition, you know, how that turned out is it's really goes to show how this, you know, this outbreak fucked them up. Uh, and then to go back as if everything is normal and they're starting to play tonight after one practice is uh, frankly insane. Uh, and yeah, the league really, I mean, this is some uh, small brain shit right here. And yeah, like it's just, you just hear the stories that are kind of coming out in these reports about how the Canucks, it just like ran them over, right? Like there was there was a Jim Benning press conference where he described how like the team was just uh, it hit them like a train, you know, and and they were it was like a variant, right? So apparently, like the symptoms were pretty bad, uh, and so yeah, I can't. I I had to do a double take. I didn't even realize they were gonna play this Sunday, uh, and like I thought, you know, it's gonna inevitably get postponed, but it seems like it's on, uh, and that's completely insane. That's so dumb. Um, yeah. Like we're talking about prioritizing hockey over these people's health because I can't assume that these people are all of them are completely recovered from the disease and. Yeah, to, to do this on such short notice, such little practice, it's, uh, yeah. I mean, I I wouldn't be surprised either if there was any sort of legal recourse because the league is really putting its players and their families in a very dangerous situation right now. Yeah, what we're seeing here with the Canucks is a, uh, a, a big-scale version of what's been going on in pretty much every capitalist country throughout the pandemic, to be totally honest, including the U.S. and Canada, it's 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 why we see some people being like, uh, or or I guess government leaders being like, oh, we gotta we gotta close down parks, we gotta close down I don't know the the tennis court, we gotta not allow people to get together with their family members in their backyards, but yet still everyone is going to work because what we're seeing happen with the NHL and with the Canucks is the prioritizing of, of TV deals and billionaires getting even richer uh, over people getting sick and people dying. And to be totally honest, this, that's just business as usual in uh, in the current economic system. And it's a really painful truth that a lot of people really don't want to face. Uh, 
at least these athletes are fortunate enough that they have enough money that they could afford to strike if they wanted to. I don't think they will, though. And that's a, that's something I feel like a lot of people kind of forget in talking about, uh, like, athletes being overpaid or whatever, is that, you know, they're, they're not the rich ones in the NHL scenario. They're not the ones who get to call the shots, who get to decide when they play, who get to decide where they go in most cases. Uh, it's really just a, a sad state of affairs in Vancouver. Yep. And, yeah, you feel for them. You feel for them because they are, you know, they're, like, for as rich as they are, they really are the victims in this scenario, you know, fucking made to go work shortly after, like, half your team gets COVID, some family members get COVID, and you're like, all right, we're going to be playing the Toronto Maple Leafs tonight. Um, you know, it's all, it's all a bit absurd. Mm-hmm. Not to get too serious, but, like, well, we see on smaller scales, this has been happening constantly throughout the pandemic, except the only difference is someone, people have to choose between like, uh, you know, staying home and not making a salary and not being able to feed themselves. Or if they have, they could potentially like have COVID and be like, do I stay home and not get money? Or do I go to work so that I can eat and have a high risk of spreading COVID to others? That, that's, that's really just how it's been set up. And that's the main reason why the why the the spread of COVID has barely slowed down at all for the past year and a bit. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so anything else? Uh, do we move on to uh, well happier things? I guess. Let's stick with Vancouver for a second, <laughs> uh, because uh, Bo Horvat actually I think was asked like if he's felt the support from from the team and from management throughout this process, and he said like, well, the fans have been great. So throwing some shade there at Jim Benning, uh, who by the way. Uh, Elliot Friedman seems very confident will be returning for another season. I meant to look into this before the show, but Jim Benning has to be like one of the top five longest tenure GMs in the NHL. Like he's been on the job since 2014. That's a pretty long time. Uh, and I, as earlier as like 2016, 2017, they were talking about people were talking about firing him. Is it time to fire Jim Benning? And apparently, it's still not time to fire Jim Benning. I honestly don't know what else he possibly could do to get the Aquilinis to fire him. He, honestly, he could have been deliberately trying to tank the team for the past two years. And if that came, I, I believe it. And maybe he's just you know he's trying to expose the Aquilinis for being stupid, uh, because he just he ran this team into the ground this year. Uh, we talked about this a lot of times. So many bad contracts on the books that made it impossible for them to hold on to Tyler Toffoli, uh, for example, Chris Tanev, who was a key piece on their defense, and now they suck. And also there's that Adam Gaudet trade, uh, which was kind of framed in such a way because Adam Gaudet apparently was the first player on the Canucks to get COVID and eventually spread it to everyone else. It's It felt kind of like it was framed to like, oh, we got to get rid of Adam Gaudet for you know, spreading it to everyone else and being irresponsible, which is just an absolutely stupid thing to do, especially it's when you know you're the ones that have practices NHL and have games where players breathe on each other, and not only that, but the trade in and of itself, even without the COVID, uh, was totally lopsided in Chicago's favor. Adam Gaudet has some upside. Matthew Highmore is just a, a a total dud, a total scrub. So I don't know what Vancouver's thing on either side here, and Adam Gaudet. So to even a player who's just recovering recovering from COVID to trade them from Vancouver to Chicago, force them to heal in the meantime, get better, quarantine there, and play for a new team is just it's just mean and thoughtless. Yeah, it's cruel as hell. What the hell? Um, I mean, yeah, you're you're asking the guy 
after I'm sure he feels some degree of guilt for bringing the thing to bringing the uh, virus into the team, which you know it's not his fault. Uh, it's the fucking disease is raging on everywhere right now, uh, especially like even in Canada. And you know now what? You fucking ship him out. You make him quarantine for like I don't know how long. Is this? I guess seven or fourteen days in the United States. Uh, and then you know he's got to pack his shit and go and play for a new team in a new country and. Man, it's it's it, it seems mean, especially like given the fact that you know he just had COVID nineteen, uh, and yeah, and th- so that's that's like one aspect of it, which uh, seems pretty gross. Um, but then yeah, the the hockey trade in itself makes absolutely no fucking sense uh, until you maybe consider that maybe this was a oh we're you're the scapegoat for bringing the virus onto the team. It's all your fault, and so now we're shipping you out. So we've dealt with the whole virus problem now. Uh, and we've dealt with who's to blame because that's the that's the impression I'm getting, you know, from this messaging. Very weird timing. I understand it's the trade deadline, but still some very weird timing to sell on a guy who you know is an NHL player for a guy who is not. Um, and so it's like it's not even close. This guy's like Matthew Hymer was a fucking nobody, uh, and you know, God, that's like a you know solid bottom six forward. So yeah, that's some you know like that. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say that's some real piss poor asset management for Jim Benning because from Jim Benning, Adam Gaudet was so highly touted. He won the Hobie Baker a couple of years ago and they were like the next big thing, the next big uh, Canuck star or whatever. And uh, he was all right. And they played him in the top six a bit. Uh, and this year, it was just his shooting percentage tanked. He wasn't very good. And, at, and then he got COVID. And at the absolute lowest possible point of his value imaginable, they ship him off for a nobody, Matthew Highmore. And whereas, you know, even just at the beginning of the season, if Vancouver had been shopping Adam Gaudet, they would have been able to get 10 times more than just Matthew freaking Highmore. Yeah, makes no sense. Oh, yeah. Well, I can't, like, I can't imagine the thought press is going on here. Like, Jim Benning sitting at his fucking desk, and he's like, ah, I'm good with Adam Gaudet. I don't want him on my team anymore. Who the hell do I want? He calls up Chicago. Hey, Stan, I want Matthew fucking Highmore on my team. Thank you very much. Uh, it's it's so dumb. It's so dumb. I can't imagine this. Like, I can't imagine the scenario in my head where it makes any sort of sense for Jim Benning to do that. Um, I saw yeah, a really funny joke so from, like, a Canucks fan in the vein of, like, well, if, if Canucks fans want to avoid being miserable, they're going to need to start getting high more. <laughs> uh, that's a terrible joke. I thought it was okay. pretty brilliant. Well, yeah, well, it's six on ten. All right. Um, wow. So, yeah, wow. that's All the Canucks. Right. That's the Canucks. Um, it, it completely derelict in every sense of the in every sense of the word, every sense of hockey, um, both in dealing with the pandemic, playing on the ice, and uh, being good people. It's just the yikes down there. Yeah, it's a big yikes, yikes from there, West, too. All right, so this is actually the first episode we've had since the trade deadline. So all those deals that are almost a week old, we haven't talked about them yet. And I kind of, I kind of like having it like six days after the deadline. Let the dust settle a little bit. These players have played their first few games, or at least most of them have, with their new teams. So we can kind of see already how they're starting to fit in. We have a little bit more insight into talking about trades. Uh, like, for example, Buffalo trading Taylor Hall and Curtis Lazar to Boston for literally nothing. Anders Bjork and a second round pick. People have been talking leading into the deadline. Oh yeah, yeah, Buffalo. There's no way they're gonna get a first rounder for Taylor Hall. And uh, wow, all those people were absolutely correct. Nick Felino's worth the first. David Savard's worth the first. Kyle Palmieri and Travis Zajac are worth the first. Taylor Hall, 
former Hart Trophy winner, not worth a first-round pick. Boston are coming away absolute uh, – it's a robbery, basically. And Taylor Hall's already uh, scored twice with the Bruins in four games, I think. I think he just got an assist this afternoon as well. Looking great for my fantasy team. Back when I bought low on him a couple weeks ago, I said he'll be traded, then he'll start, start scoring, and I was absolutely correct. Um, but what a lot of people aren't talking about with the Hall trade, I find, is that some other team who, A, first of all, Taylor Hall would have absolutely been willing to go to more than just the Bruins. Don't believe Kevin Adams saying that NMC uh, kind of got them into a bind. Taylor Hall did not say, oh, just Boston and nowhere else. Uh, Rachel Dory even confirmed this on Staff and Graph, that there were a number of teams Taylor Hall would have been more than happy to leave Buffalo and go towards, and none of them being willing to give more than Anders Bjork, and a second-round pick uh, for Taylor Hall. Uh, kind of an indictment on them as well. Really, Boston is the only winner here. Buffalo is a big loser. Uh, Buffalo was apparently offered a first-rounder from the Islanders before the Palmieri trade, and they said, "Now nah, we think we can get more. And the Islanders said, all right, well, let's go get Palmieri and Zajac instead. So, really, Kevin Adams absolutely botched this deadline. Uh, and really, I mean, I, I'm kind of having a hard time blaming him because he, does, he doesn't even have a team to work with. He doesn't have any assistant general managers. He doesn't have any scouts. They hired one assistant GM the day after the trade deadline. A little late there, there uh, Terry and Kim. Uh, so, so yeah, any thoughts on the Hall trade? Uh, for Boston, I mean, I don't know if I've ever seen such a lopsided trade deadline deal um, where somebody basically gets a prayer for free. Because not only are they getting Taylor Hall, they were getting, you know, Curtis Lazar. Solid, you know, fourth-line player. Uh, who, you know, you know, him and Anders Bjork, the way I see it, basically a wash. Um, because Anders Bjork isn't very good either. And, you know, a Taylor Hall, Taylor Hall for a second round pick is, especially you look at the market, like, you know, the, the trades that were made for dudes like, you know, Nick fucking Foligno or even Sam Bennett. Um, and it's completely absurd to me that this is the price. And like, you know, Boston coming away like bandits. I mean, that's a great second line now. We're talking, you know, behind the, the perfection line, so to speak. You have, like, fucking Craig Tui Smith, line. David Krejci, and uh, Taylor Hall. That's a great second line. And, yeah, it looks like Taylor Hall, who knew? Once you surround him with players who aren't absolute bums, uh, he plays better. And, uh, well, yeah, that's that, that comes as a huge surprise, apparently, for the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, and so, yeah, that's... You know, complete asset mismanagement. You talk about the whole the Islanders scenario where they could have gotten a first-round pick and they decided, nah, we're good. Uh, so, you know, Kevin Adams completely misreading the scenario. But you make a good point that he, like, has nobody to help him in that front office. So, yeah, the Bruins here, great little piece of work. Um, well, not even a great little piece of work. Great big piece of work. Getting a guy like Taylor Hall for your second line. Um, you know, they're still, like, they're not completely locked into a playoff spot yet. They're still kind of fighting a bit. So definitely a big boost there. Big boost for the playoffs. And yeah, just a great deal for them. And and for the other teams, like completely makes no sense whatsoever. What the hell are you doing? You're not offering more than a second round pick and an Anders Bjork equivalent. Uh that's outrageous. Anders the stupidity here is incredible. Um and yeah, it's just it's like how why did Bergevin do that? I don't know, man. Um even even with the log jam at wing, it, I don't even give a damn. I don't know why the phrase Anders Bjork equivalent was so funny to me, but it really was. Um, anyway, uh, the other big winners of the deadline were the Blue Jackets, along with Boston, uh, because they added two first-round picks to their catalog for this year. 
Uh, and all they had to give up was Nick Foligno and David Savard to do it. Uh, David Savard, uh, we this trade actually went down just after we finished recording our last episode. So it's really old news at this point. But of course, you know, uh, they got the Sharks in on it, the double retention situation. Everyone knows about it at this point. The, uh, the new trend in the NHL, uh, very clever GMs getting creative with the cap. Uh, and so because of it, Columbus gets a first and a third round pick uh for david savard defensive defenseman uh tampa bay i mean it worked for them last year give up both their first round picks bolster the team uh and i mean they said why why not do it again why not make sure that we pay the premium to get david savard because he's a perfect fit they give up a first a third and also a fourth to san jose that tampa gave up uh because of the retention that they did and columbus also added a first round pick for this year uh giving up nick felino and I would argue that neither one of those players I would be comfortable giving up a first-round pick for. Nick Foligno is uh, it's like a middle six forward, I would say, at this point in this career, and uh, a defensive specialist. It's a nice fit for Toronto, but it's a hefty price they paid. Either way, though, Columbus, I would have looked at their roster, said they didn't they didn't have that much to work with in terms of uh, potential deadline chips, but they managed to you know f- find teams that were willing to pay a premium for them, and now they got three first-round picks in this upcoming draft. Yeah, I can't believe it. They really, it seems like they made something out of nothing here. And a big something, like two first-round picks. That's a fantastic price for two players that, yeah, absolutely, especially with Taylor Hall on the market. Uh, I would not be giving up first and another pick for either of those guys. Um, yeah, actually, it was it was Detroit that they, that was the third team in the uh, Savard trade. I think Saturday oh, right, right. was uh, the third team in the Toronto trade, Yeah, right? Uh, but, you know, that's... That minor details, um, just a nice piece of work by uh, well Doug Wilson and Steve Eiserman. But uh, yeah, it just you know the Leafs. I guess you know you got that defensive defenseman, uh, defensive center in Nick Foligno. Well, not even a say he's pretty versatile. He could play any of the any of the three four positions, the right? Um, but yeah, right. But he could theoretically be center um, if they needed. And but they, it's too much. It's it, it's too much. Like I don't understand. Um, giving up a first and a fourth for this guy and another fourth to make it easy for, you know, to make the cap situation work. Uh, it's just too much. It's just too much, man. Uh, and, but I guess, you know what? Yeah. That's the thing, right? Like I don't, I don't hate putting all your chips on the table like this and like, you know, giving up a first round pick, giving all the, but a guy like Nick Foligno, you really think he's a chip that's going to put you over the edge. Like I, that's completely absurd to me. Uh, and you know, the David Savard thing. Yeah. Look, I'm uh, not a huge fan of David Savard, you know, defensive defenseman. I don't think he brings that much to the team. But if Tampa Bay thinks that's what it, what, that's what they needed, sure. But yet again, like, I don't see anybody else giving a first and a third and a fourth up for David Savard. So, uh, you know, nice little piece of work by Yarmo there. Just really leveraging both of these teams to give up way too much uh, the way I see it. And, yeah, that's one hell of a haul. You know, in terms of sellers, Definitely the big winners here, both in quantity uh, and just, like, quality of the trades. Uh, yeah, shout out. Shout out. Um, oh, on the Bruins note, I wanted to mention their trade, another trade that they made, right? Mike Riley. We were talking about guys that, you know, maybe the Habs could get. Maybe they could get Mike Riley back. Um, but, no, it was the Bruins who got him. Uh, they got him for a third-round pick. And you know what? Like, you compare it to the, the prices that were paid for, you know, a guy like David Savard. I understand it's not the same type of defenseman. But, like, damn, really only a third-round pick? Seems like a hell of a bargain for a guy who now like quarterbacks their power play. So uh, you know, I think my big seller winner, definitely Columbus, and you know, big buyer winner, 
definitely bust, not just because of the Hall trade, but also, you know, that Mike Riley thing looking like a real piece of good work. Yeah, the third round pick isn't too much for Mike Riley, but I still see the Senators as a winner of this deadline too uh, for a couple of reasons. I mean, first of all, look at a little over a year ago when they got Mike Riley from the Habs. They only gave up a fifth rounder. Um, so they kind of, you know, Mike Riley, he was good for them for about a year. And then they upgraded in the draft after that. So that's a very nice piece of business. And not not only that, uh, I mean, first of all, adding Victor Matei. Victor Matei, uh, maybe not quite as good as Mike Riley yet, but I imagine he'll get there pretty soon. Remember, he's only 22. He's going to get better. And trading away guys like Eric Goodbranson and Braden Coburn and actually being able to get something for them is not much. They each got a seventh-round pick for each of them. But those players are not only addition by subtraction, being because of just how bad they are. Uh, they added two seventh round picks to their their, their uh, draft log or whatever you want to call it uh, for trading them away. They got the Islanders to bite on Coburn and the Predators who went from gonna, they were going to be like you know the biggest sellers ever of all time. They went a little hot stretch and all of a sudden they're buying Eric Goodbranson to be your number seven defenseman uh, for a seventh round pick. So good for Ottawa. They got better at this deadline. Uh, but just by trading good Branson and Coburn and having guys like uh, Victor Matei and Josh Brown, who had been healthy scratched a lot coming to the lineup and Jacob Bernard Docker is going to be getting into a couple more games as well. So Ottawa uh, literally, they improved on paper this season, even though they were sellers at this deadline. But uh, Pierre Dorian doing what he does best, which is selling things. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's not bad at it. Uh, all except right. Mark Stone. Um, another trade. Yeah. Except Mark Stone. Yikes. Um, Let's see. So, uh, you know what? We'll save the best for last. Let's move to another trade. Um, we have the Sam Bennett trade. So, uh, Calgary managed to find a dance partner there. They sent him off to Florida for a, a second-round pick this year. And uh, Emil Heineman, who uh, recent second-round pick just from the last draft. And, uh, wow, for a player who is uh, not very good in Sam Bennett, um, noted draft bust, pretty good haul there at the deadline. Um, yeah, nice work by Trillivan. Yeah, that top five pick pedigree really stays with you forever, doesn't it? We've seen that with Jack Johnson, most notably, over the past couple of years, kept getting contracts. And Sam Bennett, being a fourth overall pick back almost seven years ago in 2014, we were all sitting here saying, look, can other teams see that he's he's 25 and he's barely shown any improvement over the past couple of years? If anything, he's gotten worse and he's not very good. And I know this this is extremely irrelevant, but have you have you seen him with like his beard? He looks like he's like 35 years old. Uh, but anyway, that kind of has nothing to do with what I'm saying. Uh, good on Calgary for being able to know, okay, yeah, we know Sam Bennett. Uh, we're going to be trading him. Uh, but we also know that because of how high he was drafted, some team is going to be willing to pay too much. Uh, we saw kind of when uh, that Matt Duchesne, when he was still with uh, Colorado, and that saga went on for so long. We were like, Joe Sackick, stop being patient. Otherwise, the market's going to totally wear out. And the opposite happened, and they got a total fleecing. Uh, both from Ottawa and Nashville, they ended up picking up pieces like Samuel Gerrard and Bowen Byram, uh, and uh, Shane Bowers is still kind of in their system. So, I mean, good for them. This obviously isn't quite of that magnitude. But a second-round pick plus Emil Haneman, who was just a second-round pick for Florida, that's a player I really like. Um, I don't think we did a prospect profile about him, uh, but from what I remember, he's kind of like a, 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 like a goal-scoring winger who's pretty big too, who I would expect will end up developing into an NHL player for the Flames down the line. So a great return for Calgary. And for Florida, 
I mean, really? You're sure? Yeah, Sam Bennett, that's your guy. You want to add him to fourth line left wing? You're sure about that? Go okay. Yeah, uh, this is uh, this kind of seems like Florida's like, okay, we'll support the room by getting a guy, but they, you know, get a guy who's not very fucking good in Sam Bennett. You know, what? And what his reputation is, uh, what? Playoff performer Sam Bennett, right? Um, yeah, that sounds extremely sustainable. So, yeah, especially uh, since yeah. Calgary's made it to the playoffs, like, uh, how many playoff rounds have they won in Sam Bennett's entire career? Like one, maybe, if that. One? I think it is one, yeah. Mm-hmm. And he so, sure did perform in Mr. all those one losing series. series. Yeah, key piece in that one series victory, I'm sure, um, <laughs> that nobody remembers. Okay. All right, so now do we get to the big one, the last-minute buzzer beater. Not quite. Uh, Wait, one more. The, uh, not quite. Oh, okay. All right. One more. I want I want to thank Ron Hextall for reminding us all that Jeff Carter exists. Uh, I never <laughs> thought I never thought we'd see a Jeff Carter trade, to be honest. Uh, but Ron Hextall is familiar with him. <laughs> uh, I I mean he was he's familiar with the version of him from nine years ago when he was a twenty seven year old star. Uh, I think Jeff Carter gets on the ice in Pittsburgh, and Ron Hextall goes, "This doesn't seem very familiar to me anymore." Now that he's thirty six years old and centering the second line with Evgeny Malkin injured. Uh, questionable choice on Pittsburgh's part, even with the salary retention, to give up any draft picks to acquire Jeff Carter, uh, way past his prime, pretty much washed, uh, a shoot first player for sure, which they already, it was pointed out, already have a lot of Jared McCann in their middle six, you know, uh, Jared McCann, who else? Uh, Jason, Jason Zucker kind of are all very shoot first type of players, just like Jeff Carter. So it's not even a great fit from that vantage point either. Uh, very strange buy on Pittsburgh's part there, but good for LA. I, I honestly would have never guessed they would be able to reclaim any assets uh, the last two years of that Jeff Carter contract. So good for them. Yeah, well, what the hell, man? I didn't, I didn't know Jeff Carter had any kind of val- value. Uh, and here he is. What they got two picks for him, didn't they? Like a third and a fourth. And I think yeah, some something like that. Attached. But like, nice. <laughs> I mean, you know, the Kings in a full rebuild. They got all these old dudes who uh, are becoming more and more washed by the second. And, yeah, to get rid of Jeff Carter, who was basically a deadweight on that team, he wasn't about to contribute anything. Um, for two picks, that is a sweet haul. Who's the general manager there again? In LA? I think it's Rob Blake. Oh, okay. All right. That's, that's, uh, yeah, that's so the trade is for the picks. Um, uh, so the, the, the 2022... Conditional third round pick can upgrade to a second if the Penguins reach the Stanley Cup final this year and Carter plays at least half the games. Uh, the 2023 fourth round pick can upgrade to a third if Carter plays in at least 50 games during the 2021-22 season. So I would guess if unless Jeff Carter gets injured, this is going to end up being two third round picks. And if the Penguins somehow make the Stanley Cup final this year, then it could be a second and a third. For Jeff Carter, that's completely that's completely wild. Um, <laughs> uh, the concept of Jeff Carter getting a second and a third right now in this economy, <laughs> when he's thirty six year old and completely washed, is is kind of funny. It is if pretty the Penguins, absurd. And uh, yeah, Ron. If Hacks the Penguins called, make the Stanley yeah. Cup final this year, uh, then LA officially probably got at least comparable value for Jeff Carter than Buffalo got for Taylor Hall. Like, would you prefer a third round pick or Anders Bjork? I'd probably take the third rounder. Yeah, I think I think the third rounder is better than an Anders Bjork equivalent. Um, and <laughs> Anders Bjork equivalent. Yeah, like and and you have like and like the forgotten piece here. Like I'll go back go back on that train a bit. It's Curtis Cesar. So like you know I don't even yeah. 
you know, like I, the way I see it is just like Hall for a second. And so, yeah, absolutely. You could see a world in which Jeff Carter, you get a, an extra third round pick for Jeff Carter or a fourth round pick when you compare what you got for Carter Hart, which Actually, is you know, uh, incredible. Yeah. Even if these picks stay like this, a third and a fourth, um, Pittsburgh's third and fourth versus, uh, and not only that, Pittsburgh's third and fourth in the 2022 and 2023 draft. I think I like that better than just Boston's second in 2021. I think Pittsburgh got more for Jeff Carter, half retained, than than Buffalo got for Taylor Hall. I think I prefer uh, the return of those two draft picks than the second rounder yeah. and the Bjork Lazar wash. You make a good point. I, I would I would have to agree, especially when you consider like mid round picks are the value gets really similar. Um, yeah, exactly between like a second or a third. So I just have yeah right now two I, have, I have Jeff Carter's like trade history pulled up on Cap Friendly. I know it was a long time ago, but I want to reiterate just how poorly Columbus did. Uh, I don't do you know about that whole Jeff Carter shortstop in Columbus? Because uh, no. on draft day in 2011, Philadelphia traded Jeff Carter to Columbus for Jakub Voracek, a first and third round pick. And the first was that day, eighth overall, or like the day before maybe. And they took Sean Couturier, and the third rounder was Nick Cousins. So basically they got Voracek and Couturier for Jeff Carter. And then Carter didn't work out in Columbus. In the middle of his first season there, they traded him to LA for Jack Johnson and a first round pick. And that first round pick turns out to be Marco Daniel. <laughs> Uh, and so Jeff Carter ended up winning, of course, the Stanley Cup with LA that year, and then two years later as well. So Columbus essentially traded Voracek, Sean Couturier, and Nick Cousins for Jack Johnson and Marco Dano uh, via Jeff Carter. So good for you, Columbus of, of 2012. Incredible. All right. So now to the big trade that we've been teasing for the last like 10 minutes. Um, yeah. So right as we thought, okay, that, that's the end of, uh, you know, a pretty average, maybe a bit below average trade deadline. Way below average, um, I was thinking. But we kind of saw it coming. Okay, well, I don't know. Yeah, well, yeah, relative to expectations, I would say. You know, because we knew there was, like, nobody good on the market, especially when it came to defensemen. But anyways, um, yeah, out of nowhere, we had Anthony Mantha getting traded from Detroit uh, over to the Caps, who paid uh, a huge bounty for him uh, with uh, Jacob Jakob Rana, a first-round pick. A second round pick, and you know Richard Panic, who's a bit of a captain. So, um, yeah, it it seems like a lot for Anthony Mantha. It is a lot for Anthony Mantha. Um, first of all, I want to thank the Red Wings and Capitals for for taking what otherwise would have been a truly boring deadline day and throwing this surprise right at the last minute. Apparently, this really was a buzzer beater trade. A lot of times, we see deals trickle in, like into the news, like an hour or so after the three o'clock deadline has passed. This one was apparently filed two minutes before the three o'clock deadline, so really right in under the wire. Uh, and Detroit came out absolutely the big winners here for sure. Even though Mantha, it probably is like a better fit with Washington. I personally would argue that Manta and Verana are comparable in terms of straight up how good they are. Uh, Verana had kind of fallen out of favor in Washington. We talked about this a little bit. Uh, Peter Laviolette didn't like him. Didn't think he played defense well enough. I think he even scratched him a couple times. Uh, but you look at their on-ice results. Uh, Verana is one of the most effective even-strength goal scorers, like top 15, I think, even-strength goal scorers over the past couple of years uh, in his time on ice. Because, I mean, of course, he doesn't play as much as you know guys like Alex Ovechkin. Uh, and Detroit is getting a steal here with that. 
Um, and of course, the first and second round picks, what a lot of people point out with this, is Steve Eisenman was the only GM smart enough to acknowledge that obviously the Red Wings are not close to Stanley Cup contention yet. Anthony Mantha is, I think, 26 years old, and his timeline of when his prime is going to come to an end doesn't line up with when the Red Wings are going to be good. So he trades off Mantha while he still has a ton of value and recoups a first and second. And Verana isn't like that much younger than Mantha, but he is a little bit younger, which helps. And also those first and second round picks that you add are... They do line up with your window, uh, and they could potentially be key pieces for you moving forward. And Richard Panic, I mean, uh, I think the fact that Detroit was willing to take on that something of a dead weight for Washington is why they were able to get so much other stuff because Washington really needed that help in order to make it work with the cap. Yeah, so here we see like the gold tier, gold standard for asset management. We've talked about, you know, Jim Benning. Mark Bergeray, completely botching it. And here we have Steve Eiserman. Uh Just incredible work. I mean, yeah, so first of all, that cap space, beautifully leveraging that cap space, taking on that panic contract, gets you some extra draft capital. Uh, and yeah, like that Mantha is like the prime example of what you would want for, you know, a, a general manager heading your rebuild. I mean, and it seems like common sense too. It's like, it's, it's surprising that so many of these general managers are so fucking stupid. Um, but, uh, you know, at least there's one somewhat smart one. It's Steve Um, but yeah, like Anthony Mantha, you know, as you, you see, you put it well, like their, comp- his, comp- his, uh, prime was not going to overlap with their competitive window. If it did, it was only going to be, you know, a year or two near the end of it. And so selling him off where probably, you know, around peak value right now, um, very much in his prime, you know, very sought after, I'm sure. Uh, and you get a whole bunch of, a whole bunch of stuff and, very good stuff at it too. You know, Rana's a nice piece and you know, he's got a very nice ceiling can be consistent, but like, yeah, he's a year younger and you know, maybe you, you squeeze an extra year out of him when it comes to your competitive window at the end of the day. So, you know, that's fantastic. And obviously, you know, first round, second round pick, that's great for your rebuild. So just a great piece of work by Steve Eisenman. I think the caps overpaid. They were probably desperate to get somebody. I think they saw, you know, the other teams kind of improve around them in the division, especially the Bruins uh, and even the Islanders, you know, getting Paul Mary and they're like, and, and of course, how could I forget the Penguins getting Jeff Carter? Um, but uh, they were like, ah, oh, shit, we got to get in on the action. And they paid a lot. That is a lot for Anthony Mantha. Uh, and yeah, like the, the whole, like Vrana and Mantha, that's like a, that's an interesting conspiracy, like a comparison. Mantha's probably worth more, but you know, considering that you get that first and the second on top of it, like it's not even close. Yeah. You know, I think the more I think about this deal, I, w- I was kind of trying to, a lot of people were trying to defend it from Washington's perspective. Uh, the more I think about it, the more stupid it was. Because really the only reason this deal did make sense for Washington is that they decided they didn't like Jakob Verana. If they were smarter, and no- notice, wow, Jakob is a great top six forward, let's leave him on the second line and allow him to score goals, uh, then this deal wouldn't need to happen. So uh, the upgrade from Verana to Mantha uh, is-, is small. And especially when you counter that with the fact they gave Richard Panic to, who, yeah, I know he's making a lot. Uh, he's not a total dud, all right? He's a decent bottom six forward. And they, they acquired Michael Raffle, who I would say is worse than Richard Panic. Uh, you could say, I don't know, did Washington 
maybe they got marginally better at the deadline, but then they, they they give a first and second round pick to get marginally better. So I think Washington's big mistake here was their evaluation of Jakob Verana and their undervaluing of him because it really seemed they thought Verana Damantha was a much bigger upgrade. That was worth throwing in high draft picks. The, uh, they thought it was a bigger upgrade than it actually was. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, even like a first and a second for Anthony Mantha isn't a terrible price. Yeah, I don't mind I, I that. I wouldn't say. Um, yeah, exactly. For, for I wouldn't mind that for Detroit too much. You know, I would understand, you know, it's a first and a second. It's not bad at all. But like to add on Brown on top of that is, uh, yeah, it's very lopsided. And for the Caps, you know, yeah, it, absolutely. You're getting a marginal upgrade. I understand Brown was in the doghouse there, but man, yeah, just to get like a bit of what defensive forward improvement because Mantha's better in the defensive and zone. he's big too. Um, Don't forget that's him. He's six foot five. I think, my, my I think Laviolette even yes. said oh, we wanted a bigger body in that spot. Yeah, completely absurd. Uh, that uh, I mean, yeah, it's the whole size thing. It's still way overvalued uh, in the NHL. I mean, did you see that Siegenthaler trade too? Like, his main trade is big. So, anyway. Oh, he's good though. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he's he is actually he? is like a good bottom pairing defenseman. Yeah. Uh, Washington is pretty deep on defense, so he hasn't played that much. But there was like an expansion thing. They were probably going to lose him, so they got the pick instead. Uh, but yeah, Siegenthaler, I think, is actually a good player. Um, he's not just big. All right. Fair enough. Okay. So I think that wraps it up for uh trade deadline talk, unless you want to shout out one of the trades that we didn't really talk about. Oh yeah. The, the, I know we're kind of running low on time. We want to get to guess who, but there was one more thing I wanted to mention that I forgot to mention. So I'll say it really fast. Yeah. Uh, the Oilers, uh, the only thing they did was get Dmitry Kulikov and then Ken Holland in the press conference said afterward, well, you, you can't go all in every year. You have to pick and choose, uh, which, I mean, is probably one of the worst things he could have said. Instead of being like, oh, generic, oh, yeah, we, we believe in our guys. He basically said, yeah, last year uh, I gave up too much for a couple of wingers and it totally backfired. So this year I decided to do almost nothing instead. Uh, and I'm, I'm choosing that this year is not the year for us to try to win the Stanley Cup. Have fun in the playoffs, McDavid. Uh, so yeah, good good work, Ken. Yeah, Holland. that's a, that's exactly what he's saying, right? He's saying I'm giving up on this season, um, yeah, pretty because <laughs> I did poorly last year. Uh, we're done here. We're good. All right. Oh, there were a couple contracts that I saw that seemed pretty insane. Like, um, that were signed. They were both five years, and they're like oh, third Scott line Lund. players getting five year contract. Scott Lawton and also Adam Lowry. What the hell is that about? Um, you know, Lawton got three million dollars per year. Lowry got three point two five mil, and it's like what? What are these general managers doing? It's a flat cap for the foreseeable future. And these dudes are like, you know, middle six at best forwards. And yes. anyways, general manager is kind of general manager. but like, Do not Jesus commit Christ. five years um, five to years. mediocre third liners is generally a pretty good rule of thumb, I would say. Like, same thing with the Tanner Pearson deal we talked about. Uh, if those deals, Lowry or Lawton, get put on waivers tomorrow, does anyone claim them? Maybe. I, I probably wouldn't count on it, though. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't put in a claim for a guy like that. Uh, it's just too much commitment. You can get these guys for for nothing if you develop well. Um, and here you are paying five years. Five years is insane for a bottom six forward. Anyways, okay. So right. I think we covered. Uh, oh, one last shout out. Cole Caulfield okay. called up to the NHL oh, team. Good how do we forget to mention this? <laughs> We totally forgot. we were caught up in all the negativity. Uh, yeah, he's probably not going to play. Uh, but he's he's uh, skating with a taxi squad with the team. Uh, because the Marlies were shut down this week, and the Rocket were going to play the Marlies a couple times. So the Rocket were also had some days off. So they said, "Ah, hey, let's get him skating with the the big club." I don't mind it. 
And I don't think he's going to play, though, which is totally fine. Let him finish the season in the AHL. All right. Guess who time. This week, we decided to honor Victor Mate and do a guess who with his new team, the Ottawa Senators. Uh, here are our 25 players. We got three goalies, Matt Murray, Anton Forsberg, and Marcus Hogberg. We got Thomas Shabbat, Nikita Zaitsev, Artem Zoo, Victor Mete, Eric Brandstrom, jo- Josh Brown, Jacob Bernard Docker, Evgeny Dadanov, Colin White, Artem Anisimov, Connor Brown, Chris Tierney, Ryan Dezingle, Nick Paul, Josh Norris, Shane Pinto, Tim Stutzel, Brady Kachuk, Alex Formanton, Drake Batherson, Austin Watson, and Michael Amadio. Those are the 25 guys. Uh, three weeks ago, I won. I broke my long winless streak of guess who. I, I beat Tysay and the New York Rangers guess who on March 21st. And so now the record stands. I have three wins. Tysay has four wins and five ties for so far in our entire guess who series. So this is game number 13. We are approaching the halfway mark of all the teams in the league. All right. So, yeah, I'm going to try to keep my lead um, so that I don't do a full massive choke job. Um, and, uh, yeah, let's get this started. I got my player just now. All right. I, am, I just copy pasted all the last names in. I have to, uh, make sure that I don't mix up the two Browns. So I have to add J Brown and C Brown for Josh and Connor in case one of them comes up and I don't know which Brown it is. All right. Okay. Let's randomize. Here we go. Got my player. Wonderful. All right. So I believe that since I won last round, I get, I get home guess advantage, which means you have the first question to ask. Okay, but first, obviously, we need to uh, tell the audience who we've got. Oh, yeah, um, so I forget so... this every now and then. All right, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'll mute my incoming audio. So I'll unmute. Oh, oh, you mute? Right, go ahead. Okay, I'm muting. In three, two, one. Artem Anismov. And I'm back. All right. All right. I am muting in three, two, one. My player is Thomas Shabbat. Okay, and I'm back. All right. Here we go. I will start. Um, okay. Okay. So, let's start with... You know what? Today, we're feeling the numbers. Let's start with the numbers game. Let me sort from smallest to largest. And so, my question to you is... So, we have 25 players. And so, uh, does your player's number... Is your player's number... 26 or lower no my player's number is not 26 or lower okay all right huh right very interesting that you would pick 26 i was thinking of going with numbers too i'm going to ask is your player's number 29 or lower uh no it is not all right very interesting okay let's go with the uh let's go last name all right so um does your player's last name Formentin or earlier in the alphabet? Yes, my player's last name is Formentin or earlier in the alphabet. Man, I'm only catching bad breaks. This is terrible. All right. <sighs> is your player's nationality, according to Cap Friendly, Canada? No, it is not Canada. All right. So... I've got six players left now. All right, I got seven. So hopefully I can get it down to three and tie it up. Um, okay, so let's see. Where should I go? Should I go with Ottawa? Yeah, let's go with Ottawa. So uh, was your player drafted by the Ottawa Senators? Yes, my player was drafted by the Ottawa Senators. Oh, very nice. That leaves me with three 
fellas. Um, JBD, Thomas Shabbat, Alex Formentin. All right. Does your player's first name start with the letter A? It does. All right. Okay, I've got three of them. So I, once again, also half. Okay. Uh, the players I've got left are Anton Forsberg, Artem Anisimov, and Austin Watson. All right. A trio of A people. Okay, so here we go. This is where the guessing starts. Um, hmm. All right. Well, I'm going to go. Is your player Alex Formentin? No, my player is not Alex Formentin. Ah, oh, damn. Okay. All right. All right. Go ahead. Okay, so this is for the win already. One. Yeah, I sure am. So I got Forsberg and Isimov Watson. Um, I'm going to not pick the goalie. So that leaves me with Anisimov and Watson. I'm going to follow my heart here. You know who's giving me correct vibes? It's Artem Anisimov. Is your player Artem Anisimov? <sighs> my player is Artem Anisimov. Let's go. God damn it. I love one nothing in the Ottawa match. Feels very good. Sure does feel very good. All right. What a slump. What the hell is a slump? All right. So who was your player? Was it Shabbat or DBD? Uh, my player was Thomas Shabbat. Oh, okay. All right. That was going to be my next guess. JBD was right. just a bit too unlikely. Anyways. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. Randomize once again. Back to round two. All right. Uh, Call my player. Not a good feeling. All right. Yeah, me too. Oh, that, oh, that's interesting. Is that a hint that you don't get a good feeling? Hmm. All right. Okay. I'm going to mute oh, my incoming no, audio. I meant, uh, that's not. Okay. All right. I got three, uh, two, one. Oh, 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 sorry. Were you listening? Sorry. Okay. sorry. I, I wasn't My muted bad. yet. Okay. Yeah. I'll just, just random <laughs> again. I'll just get a new player. I have reshuffled. I, I think there's, right. I don't know why yes. there's a lot of delay on Zencaster today. Uh, so we're like talking over each other a bit, but all right. Do you have a new player? Yes, I do. Okay. I'm muting my incoming audio in three, two, one. Shane Pinto. And I'm back. All right. All right. I'll be muting in three, two, one. I got a goalie. My player is Anton Forsberg. All right. I am returning. Uh, okay. All right. Let's do this. Uh, uh, I'm guessing first this time, right? Yep. Uh, I believe so. All right. Uh, for some reason, ah, uh, Sheets screwed up all the ages again. Like a bunch of them have January in front of them because they think they're dates. Yeah. Uh, Fucking Sheets. But <laughs> anyway, let's, <laughs> let's go with, uh, let's go with last name. Is your player's okay. last name uh, start with the letter H or earlier? H or earlier last name? Yeah. No. No. All right. Okay, goodbye to okay. Hogberg and everything preceding you. All right, let's do some dates. Let's do some birth dates. Um, hmm, okay, all right. So, was your player born on March 20th, 1995 or earlier? Yes, my player was born on March 20th, okay. 1995 or earlier. All right, I think I got a favorable bounce there. That's good. All right, down to 12. All right, okay, let me see where I want to do these guesses by. Hmm. Is, nothing is that appealing here, to be totally honest, in terms of these splits. Uh, all right, I guess I'll just go with number again. Why not? Uh, is your player's number 22 or less? My player's number is not 22 or less. All right. 
Okay. Goodbye to all of you. I got six players left now. Not too bad. Six. All right. Very nice. Um, let's see. I'm looking at the little splits. Okay. I think uh, I'm just seeing what are the ways I could divide this? Let's sort by number. Does number give me an interesting one? Yeah. Numbers are pretty interesting. All right. Um, so let's divide this six. Six is your player's number 22 or earlier. Um, no, my player's number is not 22 or earlier. As in the number right, is higher than 22. Yes. Oh, yes. I, I should use better language than earlier. Yeah. yeah. What Are any numbers right. earlier right. than other numbers? Uh, all right. Is your... I was stuck on the birthday thing. All right, go ahead. Mm -hmm. All right. Oh, here's something interesting uh, about the six players I have left. Half of them shoot right and half of them shoot left. The three who shoot right are all from the United States, and the three who shoot left are all from Canada. Um, but I don't really want to divide it that way based on who I have left. Uh, I'd rather just go with numbers again. So I'm going to go with, is your player's number 55 or lower? No. All right. Okay. It's I've not. got three players left now. I've got Shane Pinto, Chris Tierney, and Victor Mete. All right, so let's let's see. Okay, so I got a couple goalies. I should probably split them in half. Um, I don't want to be. Well, I don't know. Yikes! Let's see. Let's maybe by last name. I don't want to do another number one. Too many numbers today. Uh, maybe birthdays again. Birthdays could be fun. Uh, sort oldest and newest. Ooh, I got a nice split there. All right. So, was your player born in 1993 or earlier? Yes, my player was round. born in 1993 or earlier. Okay. All right. So I'm I'm stuck with three dudes left. I got Artem and Nisimov. I got Evgeny Dadanov, and I've got Anton Forsberg. All right. My three players, we got Pinto, Tierney, Mete. Um, the fact that Pinto's like this, this young guy who just debuted seems kind of unlikely that you would end up with him. Victor Mete, that's the whole reason we did this quiz. What are the odds you'd end up with Victor Mete? I'd say very slim. Uh, and that leaves Chris Tierney with the correct vibe. So I'm going to go with, is your player Chris Tierney? My player is not Chris Tierney. Very interesting. All right. Goodbye to you, Chris. Yes. Okay. All right. So now this is for the win. I have Armin Isimov. Seems unlikely because I just had him. Um, I have Evgeny Dadanov. Kind of, he kind of seems pretty likely, and I have a goalie, which does not seem very likely. So I will go with Mr. Likely, Evgeny Dadanov. Is your player Evgeny Dadanov? My player is not Evgeny Dadanov. Ooh, weird. Okay. All right. All right. Okay, we got Pinto and we got Mete. Uh, once again, I really don't imagine that you got Victor Mete as your player for this game. I'm going to guess, is your player Shane Pinto? My player is Shane Pinto. Very okay. nice, very nice. All right, so now I have to, like, save the game right now, or else it's over for me. Yeah, it sure is. Um, in a miserable way. Oh, okay. So, I have Anisimov and I have Forsberg. I really don't think it's Anisimov. Like, maybe you picked a goalie. I think it's even less likely that you got the guy I got last time. So I'm going, is your guy Anton Forsberg? Yes, my player is Anton Forsberg. Oh, Nice. All right. uh, I thought I had it in the bag. I didn't think you'd okay. go for the goalie. I really didn't think so. Yeah, yeah. You you got screwed because I got Anisimov at the end. That's why. If it was anybody else, you probably win. 
Yeah, probably. Um, but I'm not. I'm not going with the double. All right. All right. Final okay. round. I gotta win to save it. To save my lead. Yeah, you gotta win outright in order okay. to tie this match. All right. Okay. Okay. Let's, we should be should we come up with better terminology for like are these like games and matches or sets or like I don't know I feel like it can be kind Maybe. of confusing for us to be like this is for the win but like only for this little part of it you know yeah yeah I gotta win the round to win the game to keep my lead in the series in the match oh, no. oh, I screwed that one up too God damn it. in this season right. in the playoff round in the round <laughs> robin alright okay uh, I will mute my incoming audio in 3 2 1 Hell yeah, maybe I got Anton Forsberg. And I'm back. All right. All right. I am muting in three, two, one. My player is Alex Formanton. All right. I am coming back now. Okay. And let All us right. let us begin. I think it's my turn. Or is it my turn yes. to start? Again? Yes, it is your turn to start. Oh, no. Placed at a significant disadvantage from the top. All right. So let us sort... By number. Uh, okay. All right. Uh, is your player's number... Did you do 29 last time? And that kind of worked out favorably? Okay. Is your player's number 29 or earlier? No, my player's number is not 29 or oh. lower. That seems to be the question du jour. That was very nice. All right. Go ahead. <laughs> All right. Um, right. I'm going to go with... Is your player... Either a goalie, a defenseman, or a forward whose last name starts with A. Uh, yes, my player is a goalie, a defenseman, or a forward whose last name starts with A. Wonderful. Let's get rid of all the forwards whose last names don't start with A. Extremely specific. Okay. All right. Throw in a little. So, throw in the spice here. I- <laughs> of course. Um, so now I've got a, I've got eleven, which is interesting. I really hope I get a, a favorable two, three. Uh, I get, I get the five basically. Um, so we're gonna go with last names. Oh, I asked this last time too, didn't I? Um, is your player's last name Formanton? For how do you pronounce it? Formanton. Formanton. Um, or earlier. Sure. Formanton. Yes, earlier. my player's last name is Formanton or earlier in the alphabet. Okay, this means three forwards and two defensemen. Very nice. Only five left. All right. Does your player... Wait, how many players do you have left? I have five. Oh, wow. Ugh. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go with... Is your player's nationality, according to Cap Friendly, Canada? Uh, let's see. My player, according to Cap Friendly's nationality, is not Canada. All right. Goodbye to all these Canadian players. I got six. You've only asked two questions, right? You've only asked two questions? Uh, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. Okay, good. All right. Yeah, not, not a Canadian. All right, good. I'm just trying to make sure I didn't give a okay. wrong answer, which would ultimately disqualify me. Okay. All right, so now this is a very interesting like blend of people that I have. I even have five. I have Anisimov, again. Um, I have, let's see. I have JBD, I have Thomas Shabbat again, and then I have Dadanov and Formentin, who I think I've seen like together near the end. Yeah, and I and I haven't I guess both of them like I guess Dadanov was wrong, and that was very sad. All right, 
Um, so you know what? I okay. Let me okay. I've got I've got a good idea of who it might be. Like I have two options. So let me split them apart. Is your player a Canadian? Yes, my player is a Canadian. Okay, that leaves me with three, unfortunately. But okay, I have a favorite out of the three. All right, go ahead. All right. Um, I'm gonna go with. Does your player shoot or catch left? My player does shoot or catch left. All right. So I'm getting rid of uh, Nikita Zaitsev and Artem Zub, and I have four players left now, but I'm still pretty confident. Okay. All right. Um, so, yeah, I have JBD, I have Thomas Shabbat, and I have Alex Formentin. Uh, in my mind, it better be freaking Alex Formentin, um, just based on how unlikely the other two would be. So, okay, is your player Alex Formentin? Yes, my player is Alex Formington. Oh, excellent. All right. Formington. All right. Okay. Here are my to, four to players. For the win. Here are my four players I got left, all right? We got a pair of goalies, Anton Forsberg and Marcus Hogberg. Once again, I imagine it's advisable to stay away from those, even though I did have Forsberg last round. Uh, but then again, the fact that I had Forsberg last round uh, potentially makes it even less likely that you would have a goalie this round. So that makes it easier for me to stay away from guessing those. So really, I have two players left to pick between. And they're Artem Anisimov and Eric Branstrom. Am I really going to guess Artem Anisimov? <laughs> Get out of here. No way. <laughs> is there, is, okay, go ahead. Is your player Eric Branstrom? No, my player is not Eric Branstrom. Ouch. And so I tie it up. My player of all of you is Anton Forsberg. Um, wow! In an excellent twist of fate for me, that would have been my last guess. I knew I had it in the bag. I knew I had it in the bag from the beginning. It was you were never gonna win this round. Wow! Uh, Ouch. Anton Forsberg, what a great draw! <sighs> wow! It started off so promising for me, so and it ends in a tie. Um, we have now, out of our thirteen games, nearly half of them ended in ties. Six out of thirteen of them. Um, and in three weeks, actually, no, we're, we're doing these every four weeks now because of our draft segments. Uh, in four weeks, we'll, we will have another game of Guess Who? And our, our, our saga will continue. Saga, saga, however that's pronounced. Uh, we've run somewhat long this week. We're at about an hour 35. Do you have any final thoughts before we bid adieu? Nope. My brain is empty. Wonderful. All right, as is mine. Thank you very much for listening to this week's episode of Fusion and Hockey Podcast. We'll be back next week, and we will have another installment of that draft segment. That's still relatively new. I don't think we finalized a topic yet, but we have a couple ideas in the bank, so stay tuned for that one. Oh, and you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter, blah, 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 all that stuff. Yeah, you already know.